Romans chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 5 through 13 today. I titled the sermon, Dangerous for Good. Dangerous for Good. And let me just ask the Lord's blessing on our time as we uh, dive into his word here. Father, thank you for your word. We love it. We love that we see you more clearly as we study. We love that your spirit works in us and empowers us to, to not just see these words, but understand them and then to apply them. We pray for your help now that you would lead us on as we dig deep in these verses of glory. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, dangerous for good. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, the question was asked by Paul anticipating this objection. I'm sure he'd heard it countless times over the years. He says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that, that grace may abound? Then he answers, may ganoito, may it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And we're still flowing that out. That's verses 1 and 2. We're going to be in verses 5 through 13 today. So he's still answering this objection. And he does so in a circular nature. So he'll say a response and then he'll build it out more fully and add to it and then repeat it and build a little more out. Paul is a master um, uh, teacher. And in that, he understands the nature of repetition. And so some of the verses we're covering this week will feel familiar because we covered them last week in greater detail. Um, but what I want to do is just jump in and, and, and think categorically here. When we come to Christ in faith and we are saved, in that moment we are delivered from death to life. We are brought to life in Christ. We have this, this union with him through his finished work and accomplishment. We died with him on the cross. We were crucified with Christ by faith. And we were buried with him and we were raised with him. He lives, so we live. And that's not just someday, that's today. And one of the things we are immediately set on the, on the course to pursue is the holiness of God. That is sanctification. We are called to be who we are. That was last week's sermon. Become who you already are. So I was thinking that really the sanctification category operates in two things. One, we are to prize the holiness of God. Where once we saw boredom and a killjoy and an enemy, one who would, who would ruin our fun and our freedom, now we see, oh, satisfaction, delight, joy, and freedom. This holiness is now our greatest delight. It is the glory of God. The holiness of God is something that we prize and treasure. And as we do it, as we behold his glory, his holiness, we become like him. And so it's prizing and pursuing. Prize his holiness and pursue it. Realize it in your life from one degree of glory to another day by day. It is the work of the Christian life. It is your main vocation, Christian. Think of this. Your primary assignment in this life is the pursuit of holiness. Reflect his glory. Think of, I mean, how are you going to do evangelism if you don't first put yourself after this pursuit? Evangelism is simply this. Shine. Shine what? Shine his reflection. Reflect the glory of God. Show forth His holiness, His goodness. The holiness of God is that He is holy other. He is unlike anything or anyone else. He is the creator. All else is creation. So in that sense, we will never fully reflect His holiness. But we are called out of the dark to walk in the light. We are called to be lights in the darkness. We are called to be set apart. You see the, the, the echo for us? I pulled you out of darkness and put you into light. Now, shine that light. Another aspect of His holiness is that He is wholly pure. Completely, totally pure. And He calls us 
to aim for that in our lives as well. That is our goal. Obedience, not just on an exterior level, but from the heart, inside, those motives, those thoughts, everything we take captive for Christ so that we would shine. So prize God's holiness and pursue God's holiness. Now, two categories for our passage today. The first is this. Christian, you are destined for holiness someday. And I, when I say holiness, I mean ultimate holiness. The day when you experience this fulfillment of God, the glorification of both your body and soul coming together as one. So let's see how Paul points us to this. A new future, verse 5, a new future. So much happening here, the newness of what God accomplishes. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Like his. So we shall, we shall certainly be united with him. This is a, an anticipation of what is coming. So think of it this way. There is coming a day when you will experience the putting off of all the frailties of this body. There will be no more sin in your life. Think of that. Just think of that. Think of how it would be to experience an entire day with no sin in your life. Oh, man, it's coming. It's coming. No dishonor, no weakness, no, no fading to the grave. No, glorified bodies equipped for uh, immortality, living forever, fully reflecting the holiness and radiance and glory of God. That is coming for you, Christian. It is your certain future. Wow. Listen to some of these passages. Paul writes to the Philippians, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what's he, what he's going to do. He will transform. Look at how he describes this present uh, body of corruption. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. He will do this by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's coming for you, Christian, someday. Another passage to the Corinthians. So it is, Paul says, with the resurrection from the dead. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but raised in power. It's sown in natural body, but now sown uh, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body, Paul says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust. Now, does this sound familiar? Romans chapter 4 is echoing in 1 Corinthians here. Just as we have in our own flesh, our own bodies, borne the image of Adam, so also we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. That is Jesus Christ. Though we are children of Adam, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are made children of, of, of image bearers uh, of God. Uh, children of God, image bearers of the man, Jesus Christ. The second Adam. So all of this comes together and it is going to come in fullness someday. So how does this meet you today then? What, what does that do for you today? Well, one of the things it does is it gives us hope because Romans chapter 7 is coming and we're going to see that we live in a body of corruption and we battle. And that battle is unending in this life, no matter how long you've walked with Christ. Is there anyone here who has been a Christian for 50 years? 50 years, okay. Praise God for that. The battle is still on, is it not? The battle to hunt and kill sin in your life, it doesn't go away. 
in many ways, as I mentioned last week, it gets more focused because the closer you walk with Christ, the more light He shines in the darkness and reveals areas that He's calling you to be holy. The future reality, the, the sure future for you, Christian, is a hope-giving reminder. Someday, the battle will be done. Someday the war will be over. Sin will be vanquished from your life, from this world. It helps us to fight the battle in the present because we know that someday it's going to end. It helps with morale. There is functioning in these verses here and already not yet because the reality is is that we already have this life. We already experience the, the, the resurrection, as it were, as we sang, he lives, and, and so we live. We live in Christ today. And someday, we will experience a resurrection that is a, of ultimate nature. The glorification of our bodies. We have been raised with Him. We will be raised someday bodily to be like Him completely. In, in glory. In holiness. In reflection. So, verses 6 through 10, a new freedom. We have a new future to celebrate, and we have a new freedom to live in in this life as we experience daily the freedom of the gospel. Verse 6 We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. I love that. I love that phrase that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Friends, what does this tell us about our experience before we were saved? Well, it's consistent with all of what Paul described in Romans 1. We were slaves of sin. We were enslaved to sin. It means that no matter how much you think you weren't, your will, your desire was completely darkened you were unable to save yourself you were unable not to sin and unwilling as we saw as well but no longer is that the case we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin now if we have died with christ we believe that we will also live with him and so you see the echo of last week coming into this week. These verses kind of cycle through ground that we covered last week. And let's just consider this, this one thing here that's, that stands out for me. The body of sin. We want to see the body of sin brought to nothing. That is the accomplishment of Christ. He brought the body of sin to nothing. So you ask the question, well, what is the body of sin? Well, some say it's the the fullness of, of sin in your life. And I think, in, in a sense, that's true. The, the difference, though, is that we still battle sin, don't we? There is still sin for us to attack and battle and hunt and kill. Some say it's this body, this flesh. And I think that's also correct. And Paul's going to say, who will set me free from this body of corruption? This body was, was fallen from day one depraved now my spirit is no longer that way but the battle is raging you could say it this one uh, we have to guard against gnosticism here there's an old ancient heresy that echoes up it's kind of this dualism there was this thinking that that all of the physical matter that which you can see and touch and 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 experience here on this earth it's all corrupt it's all evil, and hopelessly so. So people would hate their bodies. They would hate the, the, the body that God made and gave them, and they would emphasize the Spirit. Oh, it's all about the Spirit. Well, that is not what Paul is teaching here. You should not hate the body that God, the master artist, has fashioned. He created you to be a reflection of His glory in the body He gave you. Don't hate the body. I remember doing a funeral one time and I, I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And, and I realized 
that the whole family had fallen kind of into this thought process. And as they were burying the body, they would just take a, a shovel of dirt and, and throw it in and be like, we're done with that carcass, man. No more of that body. And it was the most like shocking funeral moment at the graveside I've ever had. I didn't know quite what to make of it. That body is precious. It's the work of God. He fashioned our bodies. Now, we are fading to the ground, absolutely, but temporarily so. That body is going to be raised in glory, imperishable. So don't hate your body. Don't treat it with disdain and disgust. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's breaking down day by day. Oh, the outer man is, is wearing out, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. And someday, God will raise your physical body in glory. Hmm. We talked a lot about that in the Sermon on Heaven. Will you look like you look now? Well, we have indicators from the resurrection of Christ, right? There's, there's a similar look that is there. So I think we'll recognize one another in heaven. But we're going to be completely without sin. No fallenness, no echo of brokenness or weakness or anything at all. It's going to be awesome. So don't fall into the, the idea that just your body is bad and irredeemable. No, He redeems our bodies. The reality is, though, it, your body is a battleground. That's what I think Paul is saying. The body of sin is, is the fullness of all of the corruption of sin that is in you and is being addressed by the gospel such that your spirit is new. The deepest thing about you is no longer sin, but righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. Now live out of that place in this body. In this body, right here and right now. Which means your body is a battleground. It's a battleground where sin, that old slave master that wants to reach up from the grave and grab a hold of you and pull you back down, often he is reaching to get a hold of your body and to try to turn you, your mind, your, your thoughts, your hands and feet, the members of your body. He wants to take and, and, and pull you back, which means you have to fight. And that's what we're going to see. Sin is no longer your slave master, but the battle is on. Who will win for the territory of your body? Well, we know the ultimate answer, right? God will win. Christ will reign. It will come to pass. But while we wait for that ultimate glory, we fight. The fight is on. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So if that is true of our Savior, it is true of us because of our union with Him. He died for sin once for all. Now, we've got to answer the question, what does that mean, once for all? When Jesus took upon Himself the sins of all who would believe in Him by faith and paid it in full, what does it mean when it says once for all? Well, Hebrews answers the question with great clarity. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. Just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. That's what we're anticipating in this passage. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. As we saw in Leviticus, their work day in and day out was to work to cover sins with the blood of sacrifices. All of those animals repeatedly sacrificed over and over and over, day after day after day. Jesus came once his victory is accomplished in one work of redemption he doesn't have to be sacrificed again your sin is paid for in full buried in the tomb 
the once-for-all finished work of Christ should be a great encouragement to you. We don't have to live in Leviticus. We can live in the reality of a finished gospel living in grace. Now, defined by holiness now, we are destined for holiness someday, and we are called then to be defined by holiness, increasingly so now in this life. A new mindset. So just, just to echo a little bit last week, if you weren't here, I want to say this so, so clear. The idea, the, the idea that I could come to Christ and be forgiven for my sins and say thank you, I know I'm going to get heaven. I know I have peace with God and I still love my sin. I'm just going to live for hell and get heaven. That is not in this book. That is not biblical. And what it shows is you're fooling yourself. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, Jesus said. The fruit of the gospel is delight in the light. Not in the dark. You, were, you, you died to the darkness. Why would you go and live there? There's nothing there for you anymore. Live in the light as He is in the light. Walk in the light. Run the race with Him in the light. Fight against the echo of darkness that would seek to draw you back in. So here is the battle. Here's what it looks like then to live in this current place while we wait for the holiness that is ultimately coming our way. A new mindset. It changes the way you think about everything. Verse 11. So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christian, you must, don't miss those words, you, you, Christian, you must, are you hearing some very important, like, the, is this a command? Answer, yes. This is a command. This is an imperative. This is clear. It's not foggy. This is an assignment for you. Today, Christian, you must consider. Another way to say that would be reckon, consider, never forget. Don't ever confuse this. Think clearly. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. You are dead to sin and you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. The lies of the enemy and the power of the gospel. You know what the enemy wants you to do? He wants you to not pay attention to this at all. He completely wants you to not consider, not reckon yourself dead to sin. He wants you to believe his lies. What are some of the lies of the enemy to the Christian? Well, here's one lie that he can give. You're powerless. Hey, Christian, you're powerless. You are defined by this sin, and you always will be. There's no hope for you. What do you think? You, you, you think you're going to get rid of me that easy? You've got nothing. This is who you are. Listen, listen to his attempts. He will come at you with this. He loves to attack at the level of identity because he understands if you really understand who you are in Christ, you become dangerous, really dangerous. So he will say, you're a drunk. You always will be. You're a failure. That business, you're a failure. And you always will be. You are a fornicator. And you always will be. You are powerless. Don't get up again. Just lay there. And wallow in the dark. He loves to speak in the category of shame. The echo of your sins. You think God can forgive you? You, th you think he's going to forgive you? Well, maybe other people, but not you. For what you did? No. That's too great to be forgiven. All of the lies of the enemy 
constant barrages. You'll never be the man that you want to be. You'll never be the woman that you hope to be. You're always going to be a slave. You're always going to be failing and falling. Why even try? Why even reach to take up the sword of the Word of God? Don't open your Bible. Are you kidding me? Don't listen to that. Here's one. The last thing you need is church. You think church is going to make it better? You think going and and sitting with all those people is going to make it better? You're not one of them. You ever felt that? You, You don't belong. If they really knew how sinful you were, they would never accept you. Oh, the lies of Satan. Here's one. There's no war. You don't have to fight. You can just do whatever you want. You are not at war. You can just lay down and drift. Just just float. The lies of the enemy. Just, just, I mean, we've got to reckon with our enemy. He is a foe. He is not new at this. You realize this? We, who do we think we are to stand against him in ourselves? We are dust before this enemy. He is the master deceiver. He has been at this for thousands of years. He and his demons. We don't stand a chance on our own. But when we begin to understand and reckon the realities of the gospel, when we realize what we have experienced in Christ, all of that changes. It all changes. We become dangerous. We we become a threat. He doesn't want you to reckon yourself dead to sin. He doesn't want that. This is what you can say, Christian. I died with Christ. Listen, this is the reality of my life. Today, I died with Christ. Therefore, I am dead to you, sin. I am dead to you, sin. I don't want you in my life. I will hunt you and I will kill you. I will choke you out. I will hunt the desires of my heart and I will leave no safe haven for you. I will not give you an inch in my life. I hate you. You see how it personifies sin? We're we're personifying sin as if it was something or somebody and we're speaking this. You are dead to me, sin. I'm no longer powerless, powerless over you. I have power in Christ to obey. I'm not who I was to you anymore. No, I'm free. In gospel power, not in my power. Let's be clear. We've got to be careful here. (laughs) This is not some kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and take it to Satan. No, we don't do that. We have Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. That's the power in the equation. We have Christ in gospel power. I can and I will reject sin daily. Do you feel this language? This is war. We're making war on sin. Not to try to save ourselves, but because we are set free in Christ. Because we are saved. Here's the other side of it. I am alive in Christ. I am in Him. I am alive to God. I will trust His best for my life. I look at the dark now and I say, why did I ever think there was anything there to pursue? Oh, how fleeting that is. How fickle. How super deceived and, and, and lame that is. I, what a mirage in the desert. Every time I dove for that, I came up with a mouthful of sand. I don't want that. I got life. I have satisfaction. I have seen and tasted of the glory of God. I love Him. 
above all else. I will delight in Him. I will depend upon Him and I will obey Him. Don't miss the eyes. I, I, I will do this. That is what we are called to. In your power. I'm trusting in you. I need your help. I will, through you, obey. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the right context, right? That's what we're talking about. This is not a sports verse. Let's be clear. We need to reclaim this. I can be content with with hardships and, and challenges, not grumbling and complaining and sin. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have a new enemy as well. A new enemy. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And we just got to acknowledge this. Friends, if this verse is given to believers, it means it's possible. It can happen to you, Christian. It is dangerously possible for you to be saved and to then allow sin to reign in your mortal body and to obey its passion. We know this, don't we? We sin as believers. We experience sin. We experience temptation. And we choose sometimes the dark. And when we do, we are called to repent of that. Turn from it. Call it what it is. And flee immorality. Flee from the dark. Run away like Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. Do what you have to do. Get away and get back to the cross. Get back to the light. Run the race with Christ in the light. Don't let sin reign in your body. That's an amazing command. Just truly amazing. Don't let sin reign in your body. And so we've got to acknowledge this. Sometimes people say, well, sin is now dead to me. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying you are dead to sin, but sin is not dead to you. Sin is hunting you. It is trying. It's again personified in this way. Sin wants you back. Sin wants your body. It wants to get you at the level of desire once again, like it had you before. It's coming for you. And you are called to kill it. Put it to death. Let it not reign in your body. Christ reigns in your body. Christ is the one who reigns. He is the power on the scene. So surrender to Him. Submit to Him. Delight in Him. Obey Him. And say no to sin in the power of God. John Owen said it this way. He wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. Mortify, put to death, right? To, to kill sin. This is summing it up. He said, Christian, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There's no neutral ground. If you're drifting, you're dying. Be on the attack, on the offense. This is why just skipping through the Christian life doesn't work. The, the Christian life is war. It's war against sin in my life. I'm playing offense. I'm chasing it down. The greatest way to kill sin in your life, Christian, is to hold up the glory of God that far outshines it. It's like putting the sun and the radiant glory of the sun next to a match and asking, what is more amazing? Sin is the match. It burns and then it's gone. The sun burns in glory, radiant splendor. Be in awe of the sun, not the tiny little match. That's all that sin has. It's gone. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Listen to Colossians 3. Paul said it this way. This is one of the ways we hunt sin. So this is where we take the war to sin in our lives. You have died, Christian. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is what is the reality. In Christ, I am hidden. I am hidden in Christ. 
What a beautiful thing. So, because of that, because that has happened, because that is your reality, it is who you are. Put to death, therefore. This is mortify, kill what is earthly in you. Now look at the list here. Don't miss the very first words off Paul's tongue. Put to death what is in you, what is earthly, sexual immorality, and impurity. Do you think anything has changed from Paul's day? It's the same Satan. It's the same sexual temptation. It's the same twisting and degrading of what God created and called good and blessed in its place. One man, one woman, in the covenant of marriage, till death do them part. Beautiful. Run and enjoy the freedom of sexual expression in that place, but do not trespass that that, that uh, parameter, as it were. Sexual immorality and impurity, passion, evil desire, it runs rampant among God's people. Even in the church. Paul knows the battle is on. He's not suggesting it's not going to be hard. He's saying, go to war. Don't accommodate it. Don't create space for it. Pornography should have no place in the Christian life. Men, listen. We are at war. The, the Satan who hates you and wants to destroy you, he will throw all he can at you. Do not surrender an inch. Make war. Fight for holiness. It's not just men. It's all of us. It's all of us. We live in a sex-crazed culture. We live in a twisted and demented culture. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And trust me, there's, no, there's nothing new under the sun. The enemy loves the spiral that he sees and he just keeps pushing it. In the dark, the believers shine. We stand out. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Oh man, we're reaching in. All of this. Think just living in your neighborhood, driving your vehicle, right? Having your job experiencing your paycheck, whatever it may be, covetousness, which he says, by the way, is idolatry. Oh, the idolatries of our heart. We, we have idol factories that can spin out all kinds of ways to worship other than God. Put those to death. Kill it. Hunt it. Find it. Destroy it. In these, you too once walked. This is who we were. I mean, it's not hard to follow this impulse we lived in this before Christ saved us. But you must now put them all away. Anger. Oh, friends, anger. When you're on Facebook and you disagree politically with someone, kill it! Not them! Go after the sin of anger before you type and hit post. Are you going to be defined by the sin of anger publicly on all of your Facebook posts and have an effective evangelistic witness? No, that's, that is an easy formula. The answer is no. You cannot say it's all about grace and be all about wrath and anger and sin. That's just one expression. Put it away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Some of you struggle with cursing. I know this because I've heard you. <laughs> I don't know how else to say this. Like if you, if you can't not curse when you're talking with your pastor, you're struggling. Okay? And I love you enough to just tell you this. Obscene talk. Cursings. They have no place in the Christian life. 
They may have fit, that may have been who you were. I totally understand. I went to public school, right? I could curse like a sailor if I wanted to. But that's not who I am. I died to that. Why would I live in that? Don't do that. Choose freedom and life and light. Bless with your words. Don't curse. Obscene talk. What kind of jokes do you laugh at? When I was in high school, I was so disgusted with Saturday Night Live because the agenda was rich. It was just so, just dripping. The jokes were all about um, gay things. Everything was like just this gay jokes. And you know what Satan does? He breaks down. He desensitizes through humor. And it was very effective. My high school was roaring in laughter on Monday morning after Saturday Night Live. And all of the gay jokes were laughed at. That's not funny. There should never be a time in the Christian life where we are passing along jokes about what God calls an abomination and sin. It's not funny. Don't participate and don't laugh. Obscene talk, coarse jesting, whatever it may be, the joke, uh, the laughter, the uh, the you know, post on Facebook. We are called to be salt and light. Stand out, Christian. This gets real. I mean, this is, I feel like we're in Romans 12 already. We're, 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 it's like a, a preview of Romans 12. Don't lie to one another. What, why is that so important? Well, we're truth tellers. We carry truth. When we lie, we deny that we are truth people, people of the word, people of the book, people of truth. In all its forms, lying, exaggeration, you know, storytelling, stretching the truth, generalizing. That's not okay for the Christian. We don't do that. We tell the truth. We should be known by this, friends. Known when they say, oh, there goes that guy. You know what? You can count on that guy. When he says he's going to be somewhere, he's there. And if he can't be, he lets you know that he's a man of truth, a woman of truth, right? Let's be like that more and more. Oh, by God's grace, that we would shine even in the things that we don't say as much as the things that we do. We have put off the old self with its practices. So we're at war. We have a battle to fight. You are at war with the old you. We have a new mission. Verse 13. A new mission. Do not present your members to sin as, uh, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Now, when I first read this verse, I was hearing instruments like a band playing, you know, and I thought, oh, that's cool. And then I studied a little more and I learned there's more happening in this than I realized. First of all, let's consider this word present. Do not present. You realize this word is, is, a, is a, a sacrificial uh, mindset. It's the idea of like in Leviticus, they would present the animal to the Lord. Don't offer, don't present the members of your body to sin. You died to sin. Think of this, Romans 12, 1a. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Who do we present them to? To God. It's the same thing. He's setting this up. When we present our bodies, we are to present them to God as pure and holy through His strength, not to sin. Hey, sin, here I am, knocking at your door. Here I am. Let's go. The members. I'm trying to figure this out. What, what are the members? What does that mean? Well, it's, the, it's parts of your body. The parts of your body. This phrase is used all throughout the New Testament. Paul uses it a lot. Jesus used it. 
If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Make war on your eye. Don't play games. It's better to enter into eternity with one eye than to go to the fires of hell with both. What's he saying? Self-mutilation? No. He's saying you are at war. So do what needs to be done to win. Fight tenaciously to win. The body that you have is going to either be presented to sin to be used for unrighteousness or presented to God to be used for righteousness. Think of your tongue. It's one of your members. The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, our body parts, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. You are at war with your tongue. You have a decision to make how you will present your words. What kind of words will you speak with your tongue? Will you bless or will you curse? Will you build or will you destroy? That's your choice this week. <laughs> a million times over. How many opportunities do we have to put this to work tomorrow? Every word that you speak, you make that decision. Now, the word hoplon is instrument. That's how the ESV translates it. But it's most often in the New Testament translated as weapon, which I was like, what? Okay, instrument, weapon, tool. The idea here is military. It's a military mindset. It's wartime. We're talking about war. Listen to how the uh, Christian Standard Bible uh, translated this verse. Do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead. You've been raised from the dead. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. Ooh, I like that. Weapons of righteousness. You know, we always joke. I put my hands in my pockets. I got to get a conceal and carry permit, right? These are dangerous weapons. How come no, one, no one's laughing? I need to hit the weight room again. Think of your parts of your body as weapons for righteousness, not for sin, not for evil. Hmm. Christian, you are dangerous for good. You're dangerous for good. You realize that? You realize how dangerous you are? Once you begin to understand the change that has come because of the gospel, you become a threat to the dark, to the enemy, to his reign and rule on this earth. We storm the gates of hell. That's what we do. God's people. And we do so in part by employing the parts of our bodies as weapons for righteousness. So your mind, your mind is a weapon. It can be used to destroy or to build. Part of our call is then to renew our minds. To be saturated with the word of God so we reckon it rightly. We count ourselves dead to sin. We think rightly true thoughts of what is true. And then out of that, our desires are shaped your heart, your longings, your desires are shaped by what is true. And out of that, your will employs what you want to do. And you want to do what is right all of a sudden. You don't want sin. Your hands, your ears, your mouth, your eyes, your feet, your sexual organs. Can we be clear? Paul has that in mind. Let's not miss that. Will we employ our bodies in this life as a, a weapon of kingdom, God-honoring righteousness? Or will we run back to the dark and present ourselves there? Hello, here I am, sin. 
and pretend as if there's no change. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Oh, you talk about dangerous. A compassionate heart is dangerous to the enemy. Listen to how dangerous this is. Kindness. You want to be dangerous? Then get some gospel kindness happening in your life. Humility. Oh, he hates humility. It's the antonym of all that is evil and dark and corrupt. Humility. It just reeks of righteousness. Meekness, patience, oh, patience. We need that, don't we? You know how dangerous you are when you're patient? Bear with one another. Oh, if you have a complaint against one another, forgiving one another. Oh, how dangerous forgiveness is for good. How confirming it is the gospel that has saved you. As the Lord has forgiven you, here comes the command. So, Christian, so you also must forgive. It's not an option. It's going to happen. Obey and forgive. Above all these things, put on love. Oh, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Christian, you have a new identity. We talked about that last week. You have a new future. You have a new freedom. You have a new mindset, you have a new enemy, and you have a new mission. And that is today. That is today. Because of God's grace. Our response, we go back to the beginning with a call to prize the holiness of God and pursue it with all your heart, tenaciously so. Let's pray. Father, we give praise to You for the Gospel. It is from this reality that all of this flows. Thank You that when we are confronted by our failures and our sins, that we have a place to run to and experience Your forgiveness and grace. Father, we may set ourselves and, and, and desire with passion to run and, and, and obey and and do all of these things that we've spoken of here today, and then we will find that at points along the way we fail. Oh, thank You for not giving up on us. We have a certain future. It's coming. We thank You for the provision that You've made for us, even in the Christian life, to deal with sin, to hunt it, to find it, call it what it is, and run it to the cross and experience forgiveness and freedom. May we be a church defined by Your holiness, O God. May we, when we speak of Your grace, may we be known by that grace in the way that we love one another. May we be defined by the, the, the slowness to anger that You have, are known by, Lord, and, and, and defined by that as well. In all of these echoes of Your holiness, find that in us through Your grace, we pray. Accomplish Your good pleasure Make us holy through and through. And then, Jesus, come and do the ultimate work and vanquish sin once and for all, forever, for all the generations ahead, for all the future years. We look forward to that day. And while we wait, Lord, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.